My hope today is that we all might be wowed and captivated by the Christ of Christmas. By the unique child born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. Of whose birth the angels sang. Beloved, I want to begin by saying, as we start to dive in, that he, Jesus Christ, is without any doubt absolutely worthy of our worship, worthy of our honor and praise, worthy of our utmost awe and amazement, worthy of being the greatest focus and the highest priority of our lives, worthy of our unreserved devotion. Worthy of our deepest gratitude. Worthy of our full surrender. Worthy of our service. Worthy of our loyalty. Worthy of our love. And why do I say such things? (laughs) Well, I say them and I say them with confidence. Because of what has been revealed to us about our blessed and glorious Jesus in God's true and holy word. And it is one of those many wonderful revelations about Jesus that I want to speak to you about today. Are you ready? If you have not already, please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll be looking at verse 9. If you don't have a Bible, there are blue Bibles underneath seats around you. They're there for you to use, to read along with, to follow along. In those Bibles, you can turn to page 968, and that'll bring you to where we're going to be. Before I read the verse, I want to give you a little context. The poor in the Jerusalem church were in serious need of help for a number of reasons. Droughts, persecution. The Apostle Paul had been working with a number of churches to take up a collection for them. The church in Corinth, which is where we're going to be, a letter written to them, was a church that was fairly well off, financially speaking. They had signaled that they were willing to help. And Paul, in the section that we're at, or we'll be looking at, was calling upon them to basically keep their word, to be generous, and to demonstrate love for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem through their sacrificial offering. To urge and encourage them toward these things, as Paul is so good at doing, in regard to the issue of giving, Paul first offers up the sterling example of the impoverished churches in Macedonia, the poor churches, financially poor. Here's what he says in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 8. Again, this is all context. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us 
for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. He's talking about this collection. That example of the Macedonian churches, and it's a good one, a motivating one, is then followed up by the ultimate or supreme example of sacrificial and incredibly generous giving as seen in the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the passage we're going to look at now, all right? Let me read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. There was some context. Here's our passage. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, speaking to believers, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. All right, that's our passage. Let me say, I will not say all that I would desire to say or could say about this passage today because we only have so much time. But I'm going to say some things, all right? As one writer puts it, the sacrifice of the Macedonians for others is one thing, and it was a good thing and a, 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 a great example of sacrificial, general, or generous, loving, giving. But the sacrifice of Christ for others, oh, that is quite another. And indeed, it is. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Simply, you know, you already know this. You know of our Lord's lavish, generous, selfless, over-the-top kindness and favor toward you. You know. You know the gospel. You know. But specifically, he describes it like this. This grace of the Lord Jesus, this over-the-top kindness, generosity, and selfless, loving sacrifice, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So what is Paul talking about? What is Paul talking about? What is this, as I'm calling it, riches to rags story? What is it? What is this riches to rags story of Christ that Paul is, if you will, that Paul refers to? You know, when we think of riches to rags stories, we might, we might think of someone who was at one time very wealthy, but due to maybe bad or sinful decisions on their part or maybe circumstances outside of their control, ended up in the poorhouse, Right? Uh, we might be able to think, for instance, of a number of Hollywood stars uh, or successful athletes or lotto winners or crooked businessmen, wealthy crooked businessmen, uh, who have riches to rag, rags stories. You with me? However, 
Christ's riches to rags story is, as you will see, a very different, very different than those. So let me begin by talking about Christ's poverty or his becoming poor. It's fascinating. I will tell you that throughout history, the history of the Bible and people's interpretation of it and understanding of it, some have suggested and still do that when Paul speaks here of Jesus becoming poor, that Paul is thinking of Jesus' economic status while he lived on the earth. They point to, among other things, the birth of Jesus. Okay, so what do we know? Well, he was born in a borrowed barn of sorts and laid in a manger or feeding trough for animals. And that is true. However, that should not be taken to mean that he was born into abject poverty or that his family was financially destitute, which is what some imply or insist that that means. One writer says, when Paul says that Jesus became poor, we need to be careful not to exaggerate Jesus's earthly poverty. While it is true that his birth occurred in humble circumstances, this was because of the overcrowding of Bethlehem during the census. Not because Jesus' family was too poor to afford better accommodation, as though animal shelters and troughs were in keeping with the lifestyle to which they had become accustomed. That's just what they do. They're so poor. Remember, and it was read this morning, Luke 2.7 says there was no place for them in the inn. Not that they were so broke they couldn't get a place. So they just came across a, a barnyard and, and had the kid there. No, there was no room. And that's likely because of the census and all the people coming in to be registered. Okay? You with me? Another passage about Jesus that is used by some to show that he was poor, really poor. And that's what Paul is talking about. Oh, Jesus, look how poor he was. Another passage they use is, is, for instance, this one. There are several, but none of them hold up if you look at them closer. Luke 9, 57 through 58. Jesus says, as it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, that is Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. So Jesus tests him a little here. He said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Oh my, look at that. Jesus was so broke, he was homeless. <laughs> Poor Jesus. No, bro, no. No, no. As one writer points out, concerning this verse, the fact that the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head, that's because he left his home. There was a home in Nazareth. He had one. There was a place. There was a family business. Carpentry. Okay? 
but he became an itinerant preacher, a traveling preacher. And so, and that was his mission. And that, if you want to follow me, this is what it's going to be like. I'm not setting you up in palaces. I'm on the road. So he didn't have a place to stay. That's all. Not that, oh, woe is me. Look how poor I am. I don't even have a home. He has a home. One writer says he lived no poorer than most first century Palestinian Jews and better off than a lot of them who had to beg. Poverty in that world was you were a beggar. You had, you had nothing. You had no means. You had no home, likely. And you had no income. And you couldn't even provide for yourself. So you, you were left, you were destitute, you were left to begging. That was not Jesus, beloved. In fact, if you remember, during the Last Supper, right, right before he's about to be executed, Judas, the betrayer, gets up and leaves the supper. And the rest of the disciples, they thought they weren't sure why he was leaving. But the text tells us, the scriptures tell us that they thought maybe he was going to maybe buy some supplies or give to the poor from the group's pool of money. Okay? The writer points out, this all assumes then that the group had a pool of money to begin with, the group being Jesus and his disciples, and that this was something the group did from time to time. In other words, they thought maybe he's, maybe he's taking the opportunity to give to the poor, which implies something in and of itself, that they themselves are not that kind of poor. The point of all of this is that references to Jesus' poverty should, should not be exaggerated in that his economic situation, that of Christ, was not remarkable. He wasn't wealthy, economically speaking, or rich, but he wasn't, he wasn't a beggar. Additionally, let me say this, and I'm dealing with this up front because there are those who would suggest such things, and, 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 their, and their sadness would, when they think about Jesus and, oh, look, look what he did, look how poor he was and he lived on the earth, is, uh, is inappropriate. And totally misses the point, as I'll show you in a second. But additionally, if Jesus' poverty that Paul speaks of is about him being born into poverty, right? It started, I mean, look, in a bar, in a manger. And it includes that he, he went on living his whole life as a poor man, right? As an economically distressed man. I have nowhere to lay my head. Then if that's true, then what? Should I do with the phrase, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor? Is that some type of comment about his financial status as well? I mean, logically, that's where you would have to land. If this is about his economic condition while on earth, and the entire time on earth, according to that, those who think such things, he was in abject, lived in abject poverty, started in it, and continued in it, then when was the guy rich? Okay. So, and rich meaning financial status, wealth, having a lot. 
And if it is that, and we were to accept the idea that the poverty Paul speaks of is, like I said, the fact that Jesus was born poor and lived his entire life in poverty, then are we to assume that Paul is pointing out that before Christ, the Son of God came to earth as a baby, that he was materially wealthy? Is that the point Paul is making? No, beloved. No, it is not. So what does it mean that the Lord Jesus Christ became poor? And not just that he became poor, but also, as Paul says, that he became poor for our sakes or for your sakes, as he writes to the church in Corinth, so that through his poverty, we might become rich. Well, as I begin to explain the poverty of Jesus, it will also bring to light the proper meaning of though he was rich, though he was rich, and help us see how through his poverty, one is made rich. So to put it simply, and I wish I had more time, but to put it simply, Christ poverty that Paul refers to here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 to put it simply was his incarnation better said better said it was his whole incarnate life that is his poverty let me explain. It was the almighty, preexistent Son of God, the eternal one, the immortal one, the most royal of all one, the truly worthy and deserving of all of creation's worship and praise and humble servitude. One. The one who Paul says in Colossians 1.16 that all things were created not only through him, but also for him. All things. His poverty is referring to that one. That one I just described and I could go on. Who willingly stepped away from the indescribable and unmatchable glories and privileges that were his in heaven and through a supernatural conception in Mary's womb, entered into as a real man, this fallen, broken, sin-filled, cursed world. And as a man, became subject to the numerous frailties 
and limitations and weaknesses that are part of being human and faithfully lived out his special rescue mission on this earth, which included for the glorious Son of God who took on flesh and dwelt among us. It included, beloved, sorrow, pain, misery, rejection, ridicule, betrayal, persecution, and ultimately the shame and humiliation of the cross and the incomprehensible agonies that his substitutionary, sacrificial, and sin-bearing death brought him. That's his poverty. That's his poverty. In light of his poverty, or his becoming poor in this sense, I can't help but think of what we, what we read of him, looking forward in Isaiah, I can't help but think of what we read of him. It all makes sense. It fits. I want to read it to you. And imagine as, as, as we see here, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, the Son of God being spoken of. Imagine who he is as we read this. Imagine his glory. Imagine his preexistence with the Father. Imagine it all and then imagine this. And we don't have to imagine anymore because it occurred, it happened. Isaiah 53 says of the Messiah he was despised and rejected by men. He created men. They were made for him. Isaiah calls him a man of sorrows. And familiar with suffering. In glory with his father from all eternity. He was not a man of sorrow. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. The royal, the most royal of all one. Despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Crushed! The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him. This one, the sinless one, on him has been laid the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Are you kidding me? The king of kings? 
And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. He was the sinless man. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's his poverty. Not his lack of money. As most of you know, we have been making our way through Paul's letter to the Philippians. One commentator says, because there's a connection between the passage in 2 Corinthians 8, 9 and, and what we covered in Philippians. He says this, Jesus being rich yet becoming poor is referring to his eternal dwelling in glory at the right hand of the Father. And all that that means, and then entering into the world as a human in humility. And all that that means. This is the same movement that we see in Philippians 2. Yes, it is. We covered it already, but I want to just read it for you again. There we read from the Apostle Paul these words, Philippians 2, verse 5, speaking to the church there, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, a little bit different there, uh, okay, very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped that means something to be held on to for advantage but rather made himself nothing he emptied himself and as we talked about this not through subtraction but through addition what addition the addition of a, another nature a human one with a mission that would bring him into suffering and pain and persecution and ridicule, ridicule and finally death on a cross. Paul says, taking the very nature of a servant, a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Beloved, listen, listen. One way that the great distance Jesus traveled 
from the glories of heaven to the humiliation of the cross could be described like this. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. One writer commenting says, Christ abandoned the heavenly glory which was his as the son of God. He chose the poverty of human existence so that through his poverty, he could make rich all those for whose sake he became poor. Another writer commenting on 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, from the splendor of heaven Christ came to the squalor of earth. The one who was rich, who had everything, became poor, making himself nothing. Thinking of that statement from the splendor of heaven, Christ came to the, to the squalor of earth. It's a good one. Uh, at least I think so. It reminds me of Christ's words in John 17. As he looked past the cross, it was right there, but he's looking past it. It's right on the horizon. It's right there. It's right before him. He's looking past it. He knows he's about to be crucified. And he prays this. And now... John 17, 5, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Beloved, if, if he came into the earth if he was born into a rich family, he was not, but they weren't, they weren't living in abject poverty. But if he was born into a rich family, and uh, I don't know, had the finest camels, I, I don't know, I can't, or drove Maseratis, but they didn't have those back then. But you know what I'm saying. Uh, I could still say he became poor. Truly poor. In comparison to the riches of his glory. Just think for a moment. Think about his environment. Free of sin. Not only internally, which he maintained, but externally as well. No sin where he lived and preexisted. No death. No suffering. And then he steps down into this hellhole. Wow, that's pretty strong, Jeremy. You don't like the earth, you know? You don't like it? No, I like it. I like it. But compared to the glories of heaven, this place is a dump. And not, not 
because God made it so, but because sin has so corrupted it and ruined it and twisted it and broken it. And Jesus entered in fully. He became poor. Back to the passage, because I'm, I'm running out of time. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the generosity, the over-the-top kindness and favor, the, the selfless giving of this one. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, so that you, I should say, by his poverty might become rich. And don't you ever forget it, church. Understanding rightly what it means that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor shines great light on so that you by his poverty might become rich. He's not speaking about their economic status. As some might try to insist in the prosperity gospel movement that he is. Yeah, Jesus came to make you rich. Are you kidding me? To give me money that burns? And that disappears in a flash? Are you serious? You think that's what it's about? Gotta be kidding me. Jesus Christ's poverty, as I have said, it refers to his whole incarnate life on this earth. His whole life as a man on mission. It was a sinless, because he is sinless, and perfectly obedient life as a man, which is very important, because it will be that very righteousness that is credited to our account, the righteousness of that man. And it was a life, this this incarnate life was a life marked by great sorrows and sufferings that you and I can't understand. We can't even get our minds around some of this. I didn't create you, you know? You weren't made to bow to me, but not so with him. And then to have those very people turn on him Reject him and nail their creator to the cross. You and I will never know those kind of sufferings. We know betrayal, but not like this. But that crucifixion, beloved, was followed by his bodily resurrection. Bodily, the man rose. And soon thereafter, the man, the God-man, 
return to glory. And for what? That we, by his poverty, might become rich, if I had to really simplify it, so that we might be able to join and live with him where he lives in glory. And this was the only way it was going to work. You know, I titled the message from riches, from riches to rags. And if you will, let me just say, let me back up for a second, that our richness is our salvation and all the benefits that come out of that. It was through his poverty that salvation, and it's loaded, that word, it's loaded. It includes so many things. Forgiveness of sins, the imputation of righteousness, the inheritance of the saints, co-heirs with Christ, co-ruling with him in his perfect, righteous kingdom, living in a place finally without sin, not in or out of me. That's, that's riches. That's wealth. And by the way, for eternity, not for a short period of time, 50, 60, 70 years, but for all time. But back to the title. From riches to rags, I said, I said, you know, there's, I, 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 I'm calling Christ movement here. Though he was rich, yeah, he became poor. I'm calling it a riches to rags story of sorts. And I said that, that his, his story, though, is not like other stories that we can think of on, on the earth. You know, he, just a, a simple way, it's not like that, is he did it willingly. You know, those people who, in, on earth who are loaded, wealthy, they don't end up in the poorhouse because they're like, you know what, today I'm going to make some really dumb decisions on purpose so that I can lose everything, so that I can be subject to abject poverty. Right? They're doing all they can to hold on to their wealth and make it bigger. Yeah? And we, we feel sorry for them. We're like, oh, you poor fool, you lost it all. But with Christ, we glory in his poverty who did it willingly out of love to redeem a people for himself that they might live with him in perfect fellowship forever and be released from the consequences of sin, from the power of sin, and from the very presence of sin and dwell in a righteousness a perfect righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. So I said it's, it's not exactly the same. It's not. But now rags to riches. I said from riches to rags and from rags to riches. That's the title. Because he traveled this road from riches to poverty so that by his poverty we might be made Rich, and don't miss that. Don't miss that. And guess what? 
In this case, it's not like the human stories either. It's not like the human stories either. When we think of a good human story of rags to riches, right? A good one. We think like this. Look at that guy. He, he came from nowhere. You know? He really was born in the ghetto. In the slums. Yeah? But look, he worked hard. He devoted himself to his, to his craft. He stayed up hours upon hours. He went to school. He got a good education. Blah, 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 blah. And now look, wealthy. Good for him. He did it. Yeah? That's not like this story. That's not like this story. We didn't go from, we don't go from rags to riches by our pathetic self-efforts. As has already been spoken of. We don't work our way to these riches. We can't even get higher education to achieve these riches. I don't care how much you spend. You'll never have enough education to achieve these riches. No, someone else, someone else stepped in and became impoverished. That you, if you're a believer in Christ and for all those who would believe in him and trust in him and follow after him, that you, that they would be made rich. I would even say again, as we think about human folks and rags to riches stories, there are those who didn't really do much to earn it. You know, inheritance, lotto. But their wealth will be gone when they die. Not so in this case. Our wealth is enjoyed to its fullest. Because it is eternal, like the eternal one who purchased our wealth through his poverty for us. One writer says, this is from a long time ago, considering this, here's a few closing words. Christ was made poor that we through his poverty might be rich. He took the form of a servant. So now they're explaining. He's explaining. He's expanding on those, that thought, that principle. He took the form of a servant that we might regain liberty, freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from the sting of death, freedom from hell. He descended. What a descent that we might be exalted. What an exaltation. He was tempted that we might overcome. He was despised that he might fill us with glory. He died that we might be saved. He ascended to draw to himself those lying prostrate on the ground through sin's stumbling block. That's our Jesus. That's the Christ of Christmas. Now just listen. I'm going to read you one more. This, it's incredible. I don't know who wrote it, but 
in light of everything we've been talking about, just listen, just listen. Oh, thou wast crowned with thorns that I might wear a crown of glory fair, exceeding sorrowful, that I might be exceeding glad in thee, rejected and despised, that I might stand accepted and complete at thy right hand. Wounded for my transgressions, stricken sore, that I might sin no more. Weak that I might be, always strong in thee, bound that I might be free, acquainted with grief, unspeakable. That I might only know fullness of joy and everlasting flow. Thine was the chastening with no release. That mine might be the peace. The bruising and the cruel stripes were thine. The healing was mine. Thine was the sentence and the condemnation. Mine, the acquittal and full salvation. For thee, reviling and a mocking throng. For me, the angel's song. For thee, the frown, the hiding of God's face. On the cross. For me, the smile of grace. Sorrows of hell and bitterest death for thee. All heaven and everlasting life for me. I'll close with this. And I hope, my brothers and sisters, that you are wowed and captivated by Christ. That you're blown away by him. That you're moved to give your very all to him. Because he's so worthy. One writer says this. Rich people do help poor people. That's true. But rarely, if ever, do rich people make themselves poor in the helping. Rich people give out of their riches. They don't impoverish themselves in the process normally. They normally give and are no poor for the giving. But Jesus became poor that we might be made rich. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, Father, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you for Jesus the Christ. I thank you, I thank you for him, I thank you for his mission, I thank you for his salvation, I thank you that though he was rich, he became poor, that through his 
poverty. And what a poverty it was that I and all who trust in him, who have turned to him in faith and repentance, who have surrendered themselves to him and are following after him, who adore him, who love him, who are living for him, that they and all who do might be made rich. Oh, this is a wealth worth having. And thank you that you have so graciously bestowed it on us who could do nothing, nothing, nothing to ever achieve it on our own. Nor do we deserve it. But in your great love for us, you freely gave it in the person of your son. And it is him that we want to celebrate and exalt in this day and every day going forward. In his name, amen.